Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Dr. Michael Nazar Ali is a former Anglican bishop who was the 106th Bishop of Rochester in the Church of England from 1994 to 2009. He currently serves as director of the Oxford Center for Training, Research, Advocacy, and Dialogue, and you can follow him at michaelnazarali.com. We will have that, of course, linked at our site. Uh, Dr. Michael, good to have you with me. Thank you. Well, it's very good to be with you. Uh, I guess there's you're coming into full communion with the Catholic Church. No doubt uh, there's a long story there. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your service within the Anglican Worldwide Communion so we can get an idea of how you were serving as a Christian leader for so many years. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. Uh, well, I've served as a parish priest. I've served in theological education. Uh, I first became a bishop, uh, an Anglican bishop, in uh, Pakistan in 1984. So I've <laughs> been a bishop rather a long time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> becomes a habit after a while. Um, and um, then I uh, headed the church's mission missionary work in the Church Missionary Society, or the Church Mission Society as it became. And then, as you have just said, I became the Bishop of Rochester, which was, of course, uh, St. John Fisher's see uh, at the time of the Reformation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, a long time, um, and I've done quite a number of things um, during that time. When, when did you, um, I mean, when did you think that maybe uh, Roman Catholicism uh, offered the uh, most fitting uh, example of uh, Christian uh, unity out there? When did it, when did the Catholic Church uh, begin to loom large in your imagination? Yes, I was uh, appointed a member of ARCIC, uh, the Anglican Roman Catholic International Commission from the Anglican side. And as you know, the uh, ARCIC as a whole, and we in particular, um, did some very uh, careful work on removing the obstacles to unity between Anglicans and Catholics. Uh, The mandate that was given to us by Pope Paul VI in the first place and Archbishop Michael Ramsey of Canterbury was to restore full communion between the two churches. Mm-hmm. So, uh, obviously, that is you know very careful work on ministry, on the Eucharist, on authority in the church, on the Blessed Virgin Mary, on morals in the church. I mean, all these agreements were reached, and many people thanked God for them. But what I discovered then was that... Um, Some of the Anglican provinces, including the one in your country, uh, but here is not excluded, uh, were, uh, whilst they were acknowledging these agreements that we were making, um, they were at the same time undermining them by behaving in ways uh, that were opposite to the spirit of the agreement and sometimes the letter of them. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so I began to see in the crisis that Anglicanism is going through, still going through, we've not seen the end of it, that there are two fundamental lacks 
in Anglicanism, and I think in many other bodies that arose out of the Reformation. One is the inability to make decisions together that affect everyone, uh, that then stick, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, a proper authority that uh, from time to time, I mean, not all the time, but from time to time when it is necessary, gives Christians guidance about the way to go. Yeah. yeah. And we are facing, in, in our world, numerous daily issues where the faithful need guidance. Mm-hmm. to be told which is the way of the gospel. And I found, um, well, the, the third thing is with my work with Oxtrad, which you've kindly mentioned, working with the persecuted church, was that the Catholic church was and is often the only body that can speak on behalf of the persecuted Christians, whoever they may be, uh, of whatever denomination, in the worldwide uh, fora in international agencies to governments uh, to the United Nations and so on. So I think those were the three compelling reasons. The the inability to make decisions um, that would be uh, in some way accepted or, or binding on the conscience uh, of the faithful is that is that a problem that is. Uh, common uh, uh, among the churches that proceed from the 16th century magisterial reformation? Yes, I think it is common, and it it has to do in the end with the relationship between Scripture and one's interpretation of Scripture. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't take anything from a careful study of the Bible and discovering what is behind the text and what is in the text and how to relate the text to our current um, problems and opportunities. Of course, we we must do all of those things. But in the end, push comes to shove when the question arises, what is the meaning of a particular passage in the Bible or the whole Bible? then someone has to say, this is the way that the Church has always read this. And um, there, is, there is no way in the churches of that Reformation origin for doing that authoritatively. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying it needs to be done all the time, but sometimes it needs to be done. Mm-hmm. What were the particular issues within the Anglican Worldwide Communion that were most uh, pressing uh, and most troubled by this inability? Well, there are beginning and end-of-life issues. Uh, What stance one should take about the human person at the very earliest stages of human life and at the very closing stages? Mm -hmm. Uh, What are the protections due to the human person? I think this is something that we're all facing in society, and the Church has to speak authoritatively about its understanding, the Bible's understanding of the human person. So that was one area. Obviously, Christian marriage, the stability of the marriage uh, for the sake of the partners and of the children, and indeed of society, is another very big issue that faces us all, and where the Church needs to speak with authority. Um the uh, 
presenting issues also had to do with sexuality, um, with um, what the Bible teaches and what the Church has always taught about the nature of human sexuality and how it is grounded in creation, but also grounded in redemption, mm -hmm. that, Christ, that Christian marriage is a sacrament uh, of the unity of Christ with his church. Uh, so um, that, that obviously was another issue. Um, I think the uniqueness of, of Jesus Christ in the context of a plural world Uh, with many different religions um, around us where we have to relate to them with respect, but also to uphold uh, the uniqueness uh, of what God has revealed in Christ and how the Church has preached Christ and dispensed the graces and merits of Christ um, to the world. Um, I think those, those were the issues. You mentioned conscience and... Um, At the same time, to maintain the freedom of the internal forum and of conscience, whilst uh, also the forming of a Christian conscience. I mean, the Church has a particular responsibility in the forming of the consciences of the faithful. Uh, did you you uh, came uh, to full communion in the Catholic Church from the? the more evangelical uh, segment of uh, Anglicanism, as I understand it, the, represented by people like J.I. Packer or John Stott. Uh, is that true? Is that rather than the Anglo-Catholic approach? Well, I've always described myself, you've probably seen descriptions of me in the past, yeah. as Catholic and evangelical. Yeah, okay. So... Yeah, I mean, I think that both are necessary because, and I would still describe myself like that, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Catholic, we need to relate to the Church and its teaching down the ages and across the world. Uh, you know, Augustine's thing, I believe in the Gospel because the Catholic Church preaches it, teaches it. Uh, the, the, the agreement throughout the ages and all over the world of the faith. Um, uh, what has been believed by everyone at all times um, and in all places. Uh, but evangelical in the sense that we have a responsibility uh, to understand and to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ to the world in which we live. Mm -hmm. So I think both are important, and uh, evangelical uh, in, in the sense that you were using the term earlier, um, although uh, no one can say what is authoritatively the teaching of the Bible, I think the careful exegetical work that evangelicals have done um, can be a great help in understanding the Bible and in preaching on the Bible. Yes. There's no question about that. I agree. 100%. I agree. Uh, do, you, do you see... Uh, Do you foresee a wave of uh, Anglicans uh, coming into the Catholic Church as a result of your decision? Well, this is why, of course, I've decided uh, to join the Ordinariate. Uh, the Ordinariates were established by Pope Benedict XVI precisely 
uh, to accommodate those Anglicans who desired full communion with the Holy See, mm-hmm. uh, allowing them at the same time to retain what is good in Anglicanism. So having spoken of the lack, I think what is good in Anglicanism, the beauty in worship, for instance, yep. uh, rich, uh, rich hymnody, uh, approaches to Bible uh, study uh, that we've spoken of and preaching from the scriptures, uh, and a, a pastoral approach, actually, certainly in England, um, which is um, uh, which concentrates not just on the congregation but on the wider community around the church. Yes, I think all of those things are quite, um, Dr. Michael, quite important. Can you hold it there just a moment? Got to take a break. We'll come back. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. My guest is uh, former Anglican Bishop Dr. Michael Nazir Ali, who recently came into full communion with the Catholic Church. We're talking about some of the problems that Christians face universally, and uh, some problems that we face uh, particularly within our own uh, given traditions. And uh, as we were speaking earlier, uh, Dr. Uh, Michael pointed out the uh, some of the problems that the churches that emerge from the 16th century Protestant reformations uh, have some of the problems they have is um, the inability to uh, make decisions which are effectively binding on the conscience of its members because there's not a commonly accepted uh, proper authority. Uh, and again, the, 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 the big question always is who speaks for the church? Who, you know, at any given time, that's one of those questions that you ask. And the Catholic Communion, of course, it's fairly easy to say uh, formally who speaks on behalf of the church. Um, Dr. Michael, I was wondering, I mean, is it, there's something a little ironic in, in this, uh, just at, at the time when the ecumenical movement was making some considerable progress, uh, in, especially in the area of justification, uh, that all of a sudden, as the older divisions were becoming clarified and worked through, that we should all of a sudden find uh, various Christian groups split over new issues, like uh, the, the the nature of marriage, uh, uh, homosexuality, um, uh, abortion, uh, end-of-life decisions, as you pointed out. Uh, within the Anglican Church, are priests expected to officiate at same-sex weddings? Dr. Michael? Hmm, looks like we may have lost him during the break. Well, that's a shame. Let me, uh, well, let me see here what, uh, what I can do. But uh, this is one of the problems that, you know, it, it is amazing, isn't it, uh, People become aware. I mean, this was true for me too. I mean, I, early on in my own Christian experience, I was it was clear. Uh, I took the scriptures very seriously. But before too long, I mean, when I first started following Christ as a twenty twenty three twenty four year old, I thought that well, if you just understood the Greek and the Hebrew and you studied it carefully, you know, all these divisions uh, between Christians would would be settled. 
it didn't take too long before I realized that's not the case, that you'll find people divided, even if they know the original languages and the, you know, they study the texts in, the, you know, in their original context. But So you begin to ask, well, where is this visible unity that Jesus, um, that Jesus uh, in fact, uh, promised, uh, he prayed for? Where, where do we see that? And uh, so for a long time, uh, and so for a long time, you fumble about wondering what your options are. Uh, and in my case, it was quite a long time, 18 years or so, before I finally settled on the fact that there was no way of avoiding uh, the uh, teaching of the Catholic Church on this issue of visible unity. Dr. Michael, you back with us? Yes, I'm, I'm back, yeah. Very good. Uh, are, are Anglican uh, priests expected to um, officiate at same-sex weddings? They are in some parts um, of the Anglican Communion, and it is increasing now. Uh, either um, officiating at same-sex weddings or or at least being expected to bless them yeah. uh, if, if, they, if they've been civil occasions. Right. Uh, I mean, the problem is the same, because, of course, uh, the, as you know, uh, the ministers of a marriage are the couple themselves. It's right. the church that blesses, blesses that. And if the church is doing that, then it is doing something that is contrary uh, well, it is to the order of creation, to the right. teaching of the Bible, and the unvarying teaching of the Church down the ages. Right, right, right. Uh, and and your and again through your experience, you you uh, conceded that these kind of challenges were not going to be could not be settled with the existing resources within the Anglican Communion. Is that right? Yes, I think that's right. I mean, another example that I haven't touched on is, of course, uh, the Ministry of Women. Now, um, um, some people say that the Ministry of Women can only be fulfilled if they are ordained to the um, apostolic orders of deacon, uh, priest, and bishop. Um, I mean, that is that is something that needs discussing. You know, what is actually um, what's the scope of women's ministry in the church? But on this question, um, the, um, there are many Anglicans who don't feel that the you know, historic orders of the church should be open to women, rather that um, ministries of women that exist and new ones should be developed. Uh, but others have gone forward and um, ordained bishops, uh, women to all three orders, as bishops and priests and deacons. Um, and this has caused um, a huge divide, where even within the same communion of churches, there's not um, unrestricted sacramental fellowship and all of these things. So uh, the when um, the Church of England was considering the question of women bishops, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, I actually chaired the commission that was looking at the theological issues, and um, uh, 
the response from the Catholic Bishops' Conference, as well as from Cardinal Sachsa, who was then the head of the uh, Pontifical Council for Promoting Christian Unity, mm-hmm. was that, mm-hmm. Angli- that um, Anglicans could not at the same time claim to have the same ministry as the Catholic, the Orthodox, and the Oriental Orthodox churches, and then change it unilaterally. Yeah. You couldn't have it both ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think that did go home with me quite strongly. I, I, I realized the strength of that argument. Uh, Cardinal Casper, for instance, based his address on St. Cyprian and uh, his teaching, you know, Episcopatus Unicest, that the Episcopate is one. Yeah, uh, and you you couldn't then introduce a principle of division in it unilaterally. Right, right. Yeah. Um, what do you? What What are the major challenges that you see uh, the Catholic Church facing as we go forward now? Yes, um, I think that um, understanding the situation in the West. Um, uh, I mean, we had two popes. We were fortunate uh, to have two popes like John Paul II and Pope Benedict who understood the the situation, the crisis in the West very well. Mm-hmm. So I think the evangelization, I think we can't now talk about re-evangelization and things like that. I think it has to be a new evangelization of the West is one of the greatest challenges. Um, in that, the Church can be assisted, of course, by missionaries from other parts of the world, but it is also a challenge for, for the Church in the West. Um, and um, because the West is so influential in what it, what it does, even for other parts of the world, both in terms of ideas and policies, but also action, I think that is a very big challenge. Um, the the relationship uh, with Islam is another big challenge. Um, how uh, Christians and Muslims can live together in many different parts of the world in freedom, uh, mutual respect, but also a mutual recognition of, of freedom, not just to worship, uh, but fully to live. Um, the Christian life. I think the Catholic Church has a very big role to play in this uh, because of its international stature, but also because there are so many Catholics living in those situations. Um, I mean, I remember I was in Iran after the revolution, um, and uh, I was protected from possible danger by the papal nuncio. Really? Wow. I mean, we just had the terrible incident in uh, in England about the killing of this uh, member of parliament uh, yes. who was actually a Friend Catholic. Yes. Yeah. Were you familiar with him? Yes, I worked with him, and uh, ironically, uh, he, uh, David Amos, and I worked um, particularly on the isolation of communities that leads to radicalization. Wow. And we now find that he was a victim of that very thing. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it, it seems to me that uh, England has a much greater experience uh, dealing with uh, those kind of um, 
uh, isolated or separate communities. I, I'm not sure. We probably have them here in the United States, but they don't seem to reach public notice very often, uh, whereas we seem to see more of them in England. Is that true? Do you have a real problem with uh, separatist communities? Yes, I think Western Europe generally has. Um, the blame actually lies uh, with a number of parties. So I think it, it lies, first of all, with those who have invented this doctrine of multiculturalism, um, which uh, assigns equal value um, to um, different systems of culture and of belief mm-hmm. and of mm-hmm. ways of life. Um, and um, at the same time engages in radical criticism of the Christian roots of many Western societies, or most Western societies. Um, And so what that does is, on the one hand, it creates a vacuum in the public sphere. Uh, On the other hand, it says, well, you know, we don't know who we are, we don't know who you are, so (laughs) let's live our lives separately and see what happens. Well, mm. we now see what has happened. These communities have become isolated from the, from the mainstream, and that has given extremists an opportunity to radicalize, uh, particularly the young. Yeah. Not everyone who's radicalized becomes violent, but as we've just seen, uh, some people do. Yeah. Well, Dr. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today. Uh, really thank appreciate you, it. I hope we can talk again in the future. Yes, indeed, of course. Dr. Michael Nazar Ali, again, a former uh, Anglican bishop, at one time considered maybe the next Archbishop of Canterbury.